Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Ray. It's Tuesday night and that means it's Liam Kennedy night. Good evening, Liam. Evening. Good to see another, you, mate. Um, yeah, another another crazy week in the world of Newcastle United, I see. Yes, another crazy week and plenty to talk about. And as always, I'll keep quiet most of tonight because uh, I can't get a word in when Liam starts. And obviously, you're putting your questions across. And Zubair was straight in on Twitter before anyone had even got a question on uh, the message board tonight. So, um, question for the show. Does Liam feel that the takeover has come to a bit of a traffic jam, so to speak, and we are now in slow-moving traffic with no sign of when it will pick up? Uh, good question, Zubair. Um... Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't say that's just suddenly happened. I would say that's probably been the case for a little while now. Um, things are slow moving. Uh, the chess pieces are being moved around the board. There's not many people know exactly uh, who's moving them and uh, what the game entails at this point because there's so many things happening that a lot of people don't know about, that I don't know about, Steve doesn't know about anybody. You know what I mean? Nobody knows everything that's going on. So we'll just have to wait and see, but a really good question. I would say that it's nothing that's happened immediately. It's something that's been going on for quite some time. Okay, we're going to try and get us through as many questions as we can. They're building up already. Uh, Peter says, evening, chaps. I know I'm early, but I'm going to miss the start. So I wanted to ask Liam if Newcastle's takeover had been completed. Where do you think the club would have stood on the ESL? In or out? Um, look, I think they probably would have been in being brutally honest. And I think that's the biggest fear that everybody had uh, in terms of the top six. I don't think they wanted one of their seats at the table potentially being taken. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they probably would have been in. There's been things put out there that are saying they would have been out. But I find it really surprising, just using basic logic, that that uh, an organisation like that um, in such a high-profile takeover wouldn't want to be involved in some of the biggest competitions. It's okay, by the same token, to still want the Saudi takeover, to still want um, that happen and also be against any idea of the ESL. Um, look, I wouldn't have been complaining had we been in a position whereby um, they had a wanted in the ESL and the takeover had already gone through. Um, because if the takeover had gone through, I think we'd be in a very, very different position as to what we are now. Um, constantly, uh, weekly, looking over my shoulders, checking other people's results. Um, I think we would have been in a totally different plane. And that's the biggest disappointment of the last year. For me, it's been a year of absolute stasis. Nothing's moved, nothing's changed. Um, and if anything, we're probably in a worse position than we were 12 months ago. Um, and, and with very little prospect of things getting much better, I would say, over the next 12 months, unless something breaks. Craig says, Liam and Steve, we didn't even lay a glove or boot on one of the worst Arsenal yeah. teams I've seen in a long time. What's your thoughts, Liam? Yeah, very good question, Craig. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, that was the biggest disappointment for me at the weekend. And, and I'm... I put something out on Twitter today and people are coming back with all the worst games that they'd seen in this season and it's actually quite a long list. It's almost as long as your arm. You go back to virtually, I think, probably three of the four games in the League Cup as a starter. Sheffield United away, Aston Villa away, um, Brighton, both home and away. Um, it's a really long list of absolutely dreadful performances Newcastle United put in this season. But I would argue that's up there was probably the worst. Um, the reason why I would say that is for all the reasons everybody's talking about out there. 
by Arsenal. Arsenal, the head wasn't in it. They're only interested in the Europa League at the moment. They want to finish as high as possible, but they know a lot of the a lot of the baubles that they were chasing in terms of domestic competitions are gone. It's it's all about Europe for them. They made a lot of changes to that side, um, and, and and their focus purely is on that. They travelled really late. Arsenal's record this season is dreadful, absolutely dreadful after Europa League games, um, and and to be honest. Newcastle United did not lay a glove, as he said, or a boot on them at all. It was a really flat, really uh, uninspiring um, end-of-season type performance. And, and obviously the concern for a lot of people out there is that is the season really over? Look, logic and history is on Newcastle United's side here. You know, teams don't often turn around this kind of uh, points tally. And I would obviously much rather be Newcastle United Newcastle United's position than a West Brom or a Fulham, Fulham having to win games and having to pick up those results. Um, it would take a remarkable turnaround for a Fulham to suddenly uh, turn things around and win at least three of their last four games to turn that around in Newcastle United. But they've got the opportunity now, if they win the next game, to start start um, sort of getting Newcastle a little bit panicky um, because things can look things can turn very quickly. I do think, like I say, logic suggests a team that wins five, six games all season isn't suddenly going to win three of the last four or even four of the last four, as it may well take. So, yeah, a big disappointment because this feels like the last opportunity for a couple of weeks at least that Newcastle United have got a good chance to put points on the board. They're playing a very, very good Leicester side, arguably one of the best sides in the in the division, apart from the team that played the week later, seven days later on a Friday night Manchester City um, to watch in this country. Um, and, and most people, I don't like writing games off. I've said that on here before. But if you're going to write two of the last four games off, it's probably those next two. And that's the concern. If the games have come in a different order, if you had Sheffield United in the middle of those two games, I don't think people will be as panicky. But I think it's the idea that Fulham have a free shot in their two games against Southampton and Burnley now to suddenly bring that down to three points. Um, I still think the Cassian United will be Sheffield United in the second last game of the season. I still think they'll at least get a point out of that game. And that'll probably be enough to be honest. But I get everybody's panic out there. Um, and, and I think I'll be in a similar position to you if in two weeks' time we're sitting in any castle having stuff uh, on both Friday nights and suddenly the gap's now three points going in the last two games. I don't think I'll be the only one who gets a bit jittery at that point. But at the moment, I'm not going to get jittery about it. Paul Oxley is right. He says Fulham have won five out of 34. I, I think that tells you they're not going to win the last four yes. games. It'll be the biggest shock um, for a very, very long time if they do do that. Darren says, Liam, what is taking so long for the arbitration to start if it hasn't started yet? Well, you say that if, if it hasn't started yet. I mean, I don't know if it has started or not. I'm led to believe that it hasn't, but wait and see. Look, I, w- I would hope it's never going to be needed. I would hope arbitration is never going to be needed. I would hope um, that the Premier League would come to, some, come to their senses and realise the error of their ways, realise the wealth of evidence uh, the wealth of uh, public opinion um, against them in this case, and, and I would hope they would come to their senses and, and get back around the table when you pass United. And look, that could be happening now. That could be happening now, but who knows? I mean, ultimately, we're in the dark on this, um, and I think the legal teams are all squaring up for a fight. Um, Mike Ashley's bang up for a fight, and he has been for quite some time. Um, and I think the consortium up for a fight as well. They, they, they're determined to to sort of dig in and, and get this deal through. That, that They want this deal. They see no reason as to why this deal shouldn't have went through. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's gloves on time. But as we know in this process, these things can take some time. They're not straightforward process. Look, 
people have criticised me in the past for being too straight on things. I just try and simplify things to put them in layman's terms for people. And maybe I have been a bit too straight on timeframes in the past. But ultimately, that's my information and it is what it is. But my information on timeframes is, is very simple on this one. I don't know. I don't know when it'll start. I don't know if it's started. I'm led to believe it hasn't, but I can't say for definite. Tom says, I see Jeff Stalin's now questioning whether the big six have stopped the takeover. I mean, it's it's a realisation, isn't it, on behalf of some of the media, I think, that uh, certainly what's happened in the last couple of weeks has, has made people think about Newcastle's takeover a bit more. Yeah, it has. And, and I know Jeff really well. Um, from my time covering Hartlepool, he became a shareholder at Hartlepool, bought into the club there. Fantastic bloke. Has a... Is from Hartlepool, absolutely loves the North East and has an affinity with Newcastle United as well. He'll always fight the corner of all the North East clubs. Um, a fantastic bloke. Um, good to have a drink with and all that kind of thing. Jeff, Jeff's a fantastic fella. And and I think had Jeff said something like that maybe six months ago, I think every, he would have been laughed out of the room. I think people would have thought he was he was coming up with conspiracy theorists and he would turn into a flat earther. But the fact is now that a lot of this, a lot of this uh behind closed doors, clandestine rubbish from the top six has been uh, brought into the open with Project Big Picture at first, and then secondly as the ESL. I think everybody realises the, the, the present danger that a lot of these football clubs, and particularly the owners of those football clubs, uh, represent in English football. And it isn't quite as far-fetched as some of those people would have you believe that we that what things are being said by the likes of Amanda Staveley um, and, and printed in the likes of my paper and others, that there has been there has been a conspiracy against Newcastle United in this process. Mad Mark says, uh, Chelsea Football Club have announced that as from the 1st of July, there'll be supporter present at the club's board meetings. Uh, three elected supporter advisors will attend board meetings to ensure general supporter sentiment is considered as part of the club's decision-making process. Not new. Um, new for Chelsea, perhaps. But, of course, Newcastle United did the ill-fated fans liaison committee and appointed me as fans liaison officer. Um, can it work at Chelsea? And, and could that kind of thing be the kind of thing we see introduced across you know, the, uh, the the top flight, I suppose, amongst the supporters uh, at, at clubs? I think the problem that we've had at the moment is that I think fans have felt less heard than ever. Um, probably over the last 12 months, because there's been that distance opened up between um, the players I see on the pitch, the, the directors I see in the stands, and, and being able to voice your own opinion. Um, because I think I think the court of public opinion probably would have had Steve Bruce hung, drawn and quartered. Um, you know, the public uh, court of opinion at St James's Park would have, would have gone for Mike Ashley again in, in the struggling times that we've had in, in recent times. There hasn't been an availability to do that. Um what I would say in terms of fans on the board, I don't agree with fans on the board, but what I do think is I think the boards of football clubs and owners should listen to their fans because their fans often know the club better than they know it themselves. So for me, I think it's really important that, that fans have a voice. Um, in what form that comes, I don't know. Is it a case in Germany, for example, that it is a check and balance, that the big, huge decisions can, can be checked by fans? Look, I think it's a really difficult road to walk down, but... I do think there's got to be something put in place. And I was really pleased. Some people treated with a bit of scepticism today, but I was really pleased to see that that there are that there is going to be this uh, owner's charter um, pushed through. There is going to be uh, legislation, potentially, that was talked about in the statement from the Premier League, that legislation may well be brought in. Um, so they're working with the government and, and political bodies on that. That can only be a good thing. I've championed that from day one since this ESL rubbish came out. That, that we need we need English football enshrined in, in in English law in British law I think there needs to be 
the values and the integrity of the game can never be um, pulled through the mud like they have been in the last month. I think I think there has to be um, there has to be laws in place so that nobody can just pluck a team out of anywhere and take them out of that competition. You're here, you're stuck, you're in this competition, you can't opt out of it and you can't opt in. Tom Dixon says, question for Liam, would you take Demba Ball back to Newcastle with him being a free agent? I don't know. I think his days are probably well behind him, but it'd be interesting to see if he was a free free agent. I think Newcastle are going to largely be shopping in that kind of market this summer. They're going to be looking for value, but I don't think they're going to be alone in that. I think there's going to be a lot of clubs in that kind of market. Demba Ball, what is he now? I don't even know. Is he 35, 36? You would imagine his Premier League playing days are probably over, but I did see... He always talks really positively about Newcastle United. He always talks really positively about the uh, the area and, and the Premier League in itself. So I think he'd be very happy for that final payday in his in his um in his career. But I think probably as a footballer, um, his days are probably numbered in the Premier League. Colin says, "What are the chances of Hoffman and Masters being removed from the Premier League? It's plain to see the involvement with the so-called Big Six. Even Jeff Stella mentions it. Obviously, pointing to what Jeff's been saying today, Colin." Don't take you can't take it off the table. There is a lot of people not very happy with the, the, the people involved in this. There's a lot of people not very happy with the Premier League executives who they want to know. They want to know how much did you know about this process? How much did you know about Project Big Picture? And in from any Cassie United uh, ownership and boardroom, how much did you really know about the things that were going on behind closed doors in the Cassie United takeover? Are you as naive as you think, as you seem to suggest in the media? Are all of these things bubbling away right under your nose and you've got no clue at all about them? You've got no say in them? I just don't believe it. And I think there's a lot of Premier League executives and ownerships don't believe it either. OK, a lot of concern amongst our supporters about uh, Manchester United. And uh, Carl um, emphasises that when he says, uh, what is the chances of the Saudis turning their attention to Man U? I think if the Saudis have wanted to buy Manchester United, Carl, I think they would have done it by now. Um, they've been, they've been, they've got the money to do that, and they chose Newcastle United. Were convinced. Let's not say chose. They were convinced, and everyone seems to sort of gloss over this at times. They were convinced by Amanda Staveley and PCP and other people in and around that brokers to go for Newcastle United because of the nature of the deal, because it was an investment, because it's something they can see um, wealth um, grow on Tyneside, um, because of the, the purchase uh, of the club, the history, the heritage, and also the, the potential investments that can. Go, go with it hand in hand in and around the football club, much like you've seen at Manchester City. Manchester United is an absolute goliath. It's a mammoth of a football club. And turning a four billion pound purchase into a four and a half billion pound purchase isn't quite the same as turning three hundred million Newcastle United with three hundred million investment into a one and a half billion pound um, football club. All of a sudden, it's all about risk and reward. Um, guaranteed reward at Manchester United, but. Um, Seen as more of a cast iron reward at Newcastle because of the size, the margins. The margins are much bigger to grow in Newcastle. Yes, of course, you're probably never going to grow Newcastle to a size of a Liverpool or a Manchester United. Simply history tells you that. But you can certainly grow it a lot bigger than what it is now. And doubling and trebling in the not too distant future, the size and wealth of Newcastle United is quite achievable. Dave says, have you seen uh, Rio Ferdinand's latest comments? Of course, uh, Rio Ferdinand coming out and saying that Mike Ashley's amazing and that we are just whingers. Sorry, Dave, I haven't. Is that really what he said, Steve? Well, more or less. That's in a nutshell, mate. Oh. He's, uh, you know, he, he just thinks Mike Ashley's the, the best 
Unas in sliced bread, um, essentially that Newcastle fans have nothing to whinge about. Um, you know, and I think it summed up some of the um, you know the pundits at the weekend. I mentioned last night. I felt that Jermaine Jenis was completely ill-informed on what he was talking about on match of the day um, when when these protests took place. He didn't really want to talk about it. When he did talk about it, he seemed a bit clueless as to why people were protesting. Uh, Then you had some people defending um, the Manchester United fans for doing what they're doing. And then you had people like Graham Sooners condemning them and, you know, for throwing missiles, etc. I mean, some some footage came out of... uh, Carragher and Neville trying to talk to the fans and the abuse they were getting was ridiculous, you know. Um, but for me, essentially, Rio Ferdinand just does this time and time again. He's 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 protecting, he's obviously protecting his interests because you know he he, he clearly does work with Mike Ashley. You know his brands or his magazines or whatever it is, you know, are getting you know distri- distributed or whatever by by Ashley's shops. So, I mean, there's there's clearly a relationship between the two, and I understand and protecting that relationship. But to go completely over the top and say that we're, you know, we're always complaining, what have we got to complain about? I just think it's, I just think it's crazy. And I think he just does it to wind us up. Yeah, and, that, and that's the biggest problem here is that the bloke's an idiot. Um, he really is an idiot. He comes across like an absolute idiot on there. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to describe him as anything else. I, honestly, it's an embarrassment to, to football that he's, he's allowed to spout the rubbish that he does consistently. It's an embarrassment to BT Sport that they pay him to do that. Um, and I would think um, people people like that shouldn't really shouldn't really be on the telly because that their opinion means nothing. Just because he played the game. I mean, I've seen the stuff we've seen about Alan Shearer the other week, man. He just talks absolute rubbish. It's it's clickbait rubbish that comes out of his mouth. Um, it's whatever. If there can be a pundity version of clickbait, he'd be absolutely at home on talk sport. But actually... The problem with Rio Ferdinand probably not getting a gig on TalkSport is he's not sharp enough. He literally, he can barely put a sentence together, the bloke. He just They need to put out his misery and take him off the television, in my opinion. I really, of all of them, he's the, he's the worst pundit. I don't rate at all. There's nothing wrong with getting ex-pros on there who can offer good insight into the game. And, and what I like to see from pundits is I like to see analysis of positions, analysis of... Uh, scenarios and situations because those are the type of things that anybody who's had a ball at their feet maybe have experienced a little bit on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon or whatever or in a school or as a kid at youth level or whatever but they've never really experienced it at Premier League level and that's the type of insight that someone for example like I couldn't give you Steve you couldn't give but no. ex-footballers have got that niche that they can give that kind of insight that nobody else can and I'll add another one to the list Ashley Cole seems to be getting a gig from somewhere yes for about five or six years, he was the best left back on the planet. Ain't a good pundit, though. What's the point in having a bloke like that on the telly just to sit there nodding and changing his opinion when somebody else says something different? Pathetic. I don't see the point in paying money for these people to be involved. There's a lot of good ones out there, but it's a shame that, that these bad ones keep getting gigs because I don't want to put lads out of work, out of business, you know what I mean? I'm not saying they shouldn't, but really... If you're not very good at something, you don't normally keep getting asked back, do you, for a job? They'll, they'll normally get rid of you. But Rio Ferdinand's just, he's just a, he's just a gobshite, isn't he? You know, that's all he is. He talks I, 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 just don't under, I just don't understand why some of these people feel that they need to attack Newcastle. I mean, I could understand if Newcastle were a threat, but they're not. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if we're breathing down their necks for a top four space or, or whatever. We're just 
clearly, for whatever reason, have upset these players at some point in time. And I can't remember one instance where we've upset Rio Ferdinand as a player. I just find the whole thing bizarre. I really do. Uh, John Askew and a few others in the chat asking what's happened to Keith's story. Um, and John's also saying, um, for many interested in Keith and Robert O'Donoghue's case, where are they at with that? So, yeah, last week, obviously, we were you know aware that Keith was talking about putting something with you. He gave you the story, but obviously yep. the last time we spoke to you, you said you had to, you know, you had to wait for the the red, um, the green light. Sorry, I presume you're still stuck on red. Still stuck on red. Um, that's as frustrating for anybody out there who'll be waiting on that news as me. Somebody who wants to to break that news. You don't think that it, uh, people who watch this program regular and follow me on Twitter will know. If I can tell you something, I'll tell you. If I'm allowed to do so, if I can give you information that somebody else hasn't got, and just get a better pick, give yourself a better picture, whether that's contextual, whether it's historical, whether it's political. If I can do some digging and get you something that will give you a broader picture on this story, I've done that throughout the past year. I think my track record speaks for itself. So just believe us when I say that I just can't put this out at the moment. But because I can't put it out, doesn't mean it's always a bad thing. So let's just wait and see how this plays out. Yes, we teed it up. Maybe we shouldn't have teed it up. It's by the by, at the end of the day, the people who wanted the story out wanted this teed up. They wanted it to be a big story. They wanted it to go, because it, it is a big story. I'm, I'm a journalist. I know a big story when I see one, and this is a significant, significant story. Um, and I don't, for me, without giving any details, I think it could be a good thing. That they've gone from being in a position where saying press the button on this now to very quickly go and hold, wait there actually. Because some of this information, um, some of it's brand new. Some of this information I've been sitting on since December, parts of this story. So that tells you that, that I've had some of this information, I've had to keep quiet on it for certain reasons. Sometimes you have to keep your counsel in this game. Sometimes it's, it's, you can't just blurt everything out because it could prove detrimental to things that are going on elsewhere. So, look, I want, to, I want to put this story out as much as anybody. I know for a fact Keith desperately wants to put this story out. He's excited about putting the story out um, in a lot of ways. And it's a big, big story. And what I'll say on Keith's case, it's ultimately a question for him. He's been on here plenty. But he's um, on, on Friday again. He'll be on on Friday. So, yeah. so. so whoever that question was from, just I would die, come back on Friday, watch the Amigos plus Keith uh, and put the question to him um, yeah. and see what he says because it's his case, it's confidential. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, quick answer on this one because we covered it really with Man United. But Alan says, um, if Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal became available, do you think PIF would go in for any of them? I think if they'd wanted to buy those football clubs, they probably would have done it by now. Yeah, okay. Uh, Brendan says, Liam, I was wondering, does the journalist ever ask Steve Bruce why he keeps playing Shelby, no matter how bad he performs? Um, and the press conferences I've been, there hasn't been a whole lot of questions about Shelby, but there have been questions put to him. And, and I think Shelby's a player that he really rates. Um, he, he rates him a lot. Um, rates him enough to be his captain. And I think um, we're, all, we're all sort of, uh, it's fallen on deaf ears, really. Any calls for Shelby not to be in there. I think that's another interesting caveat to the idea of fans being back. Has this year away from John Joe Shelby watching him on the TV, has it has it almost exacerbated that? Because people were pretty sick of him before. Is he a player who might get some stick? I know we're not we're not the type to normally give our own player stick, but he could be one that that, that eventually the, 
the patience is worn a little bit thin with many fans when they do get back there because I know I'm absolutely sick of my back teeth and watching them. Um, watching <laughs> I can just see you standing in the press box going, Boo! <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sitting with Craig Hope in the car park. <laughs> shocking that, by the way. Last time I spoke to Craig Hope, he's still not back in. Um, wow. Shocking behaviour from the football club. Um, shocking behaviour in that the, the lad wrote a quality story that was an exclusive and it was absolutely spot on, stood up by them themselves and he got banned for it. And by the way, this is another thing I'm going to get off my chest, which nobody knows about. Spoke to the club last week about the return of fans, and you might all laugh and say, oh, Liam, or, you know, well, we're not in there, so why should you? Interestingly, the club refused to confirm whether they'll ever let any more than one person per title in. So the Chronicle would always have three or four people in. Uh, Shields Gazette would always have two or three people in. Wow. Um, various other publications would have others. I spoke to the club a few days ago and asked them explicitly, will you will you allow me back in, the, back, back in with Miles? Can we start coming back? when things are reopened um, and when there's 10,000 fans allowed in. No plans this season. But what about next season if things are back to normal? No, no. Def- there's no guarantees that any any more than one person per publication will be allowed back in, in the football club. And that, to me, is playing with people's futures. That That's that's almost saying that people have to wind back their coverage. I mean, for, for a pay- the local paper, like the Chronicle in particular, and I don't even work for the Chronicle, well, they would have four and five lads in sometimes on a Saturday. I mean, yeah. they're only getting one in, and it's fair enough when everything's restricted. But all of a sudden, when things the club have refused to confirm to me, even when things are back to 100% normal, 52,000 people in there, that they might not even allow me back in. Incredible. Interesting times, certainly. Uh, corners always being cut, but uh, all that lad to was the empty seats because uh, if they think there's going to be thousands of those, that 10,000 seats are going to be filled when we go back, I'd be very surprised because as long as Mike Ashley's there and Steve Bruce is the manager, I can't see uh, those 10,000 returning. And I think there'll be yeah. a few thousand more who won't go back for a variety of reasons. Um, I'll go with Bill's question before I give a shout out to sponsors. Do the players think that the season has ended and we are safe? You would imagine so nope. after that performance at the weekend. It looked like it, Bill. I mean, it's a fair point. It really looked like it. Looked like they couldn't get up for it from minute one, really. And, and, and it's concerning because when you turn that tap off, it can be very difficult to turn back on. Um, and if you castinate, do suddenly find themselves in um, sort of Armageddon, whereby uh, Fulham win the next two and then it's a three-point gap going at the final two. Is it going to be an easy switch when you cast it to suddenly go, right, now we care again? I think it's going to be a really difficult one to do. I suspect the Fulham probably won't win the next two games, but you know, it would it would certainly make it would certainly make it nervy if they won won and draw got a draw, for example, and were unbeaten in those two games. It would certainly make things interesting. But I think it's really concerning. And I think I think the manager and there's enough coaches there at that football club now. And there's a list as long as your arm of coaches involved. Surely some of them have got to be able to earn their money in the next uh, next few days and, and get some kind of reaction out of players. Whether that's even just freshening it up personnel-wise, whether that's freshening it up with a system change, because realistically, they've had two system changes this year and, and um, certainly they've picked up points and, and, and they've worked and they've had a desired impact. Um, and even if it was only initially with a 4-3-3, and quite consistently against decent sides with the, the 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, whatever you may want to call it. Um, but I think I've written in a piece um, that went out at lunchtime today that I think I think there is a need for change and I, I would like to see the system tweaked again. Um, 
whether that's going been in the three at the back because the, the real success story of, the, of the, the last few weeks has been the wing-backs, hasn't it, really? Um, they've come to the fore and, and played really well. So you'd be reluctant to take one of those out. If you go back to four, you can't read. It doesn't feel comfortable playing Matt Ritchie and, and, and Jacob Murphy as your two full-backs. You're probably looking at putting Dummett back there and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Mankiw back in at right-back. I mean, is that worth doing? I don't know. But I think there's got to be some tweak to the system to to get much more out of somebody. Miguel Almiron's been wasted in this system and it's worked because it's got results and he's grafted away to absolutely no uh, end product and he's been running down blind alleys and starting from so picking the ball up so deep. He's absolutely ineffectual as a forward player. Um, be nice to see another little system tweak um, get the Graham Jones playbook out maybe just twist and turn something to, to get Almiron back in the game because I think he can have a big part to play between now and the end of the season. Yep, I would agree. Big shout out to our sponsors, uh, Spider VPN, who have been with us for the last three months and are here with us again this month of May. Uh, for your internet security, give the lads at Spider VPN a shout. For the very last time, uh, for the time being, a big shout out to Arcot Interiors uh, for your custom made kitchens, www.arcotinteriors.com. Uh, give them a ring at 0191 Enquiries at Arcot. Uh, .org.uk and uh, big thanks to Chris and the lads down there they said they will be back uh, we do have a new sponsor to unveil tomorrow night uh, also a big shout out to qtechshop.co.uk the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle and to Jab Signature for making our flyers looking forward to seeing John's new boxing gear coming out very very shortly and uh, if you're a first time visitor to the channel subscribe by hitting the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right hand corner Hit the thumbs up to like the video. Uh, that does help us, believe it or not. Hit the share button. That shares it to your Twitter, your Facebook. Uh, put it onto some uh, Facebook groups, the Newcastle United ones that you're perhaps a member of. It helps us grow our community. We're hedging towards 40,000 this week. If we could hit 40,000 by the weekend, that would be fantastic. And hit the comment button as well. That takes you into the chat where you can meet like-minded Newcastle United fans and have a chat. Uh, we do have T-shirts and that on sale. Uh, get your cult T-shirt. We've been referred to as a cult on more than one occasion. No, that isn't a typo. And uh, you can get the T-shirts from nufcmatters.com. And uh, as always, we will be doing a T-shirt this Friday for the food bank. We've raised many, many thousands of pounds over the last uh, 12 months for charity. And uh, the food bank has been one of the main beneficiaries through those T-shirts. Thanks to you guys. So uh, a big thank you to you all. Uh, just a, a quick reminder as well. Tomorrow night, I am back at six o'clock with the lads from the Retro Show. We will be looking at Southampton tomorrow, so some interesting stories. And if you like the true crime podcast that I do, did a cracking one with a guy called uh, Ray Hill this afternoon. And straight after this show at 7.15, I am doing one with Frank Portofaneri, which is uh, going to be very, very interesting. This is about his life um, in the UDA. Um, in London as well Fascinating story about his life as a gunrunner We'll be talking about his book uh, Loyalist Parliamentary Gunrunner From Extremism to Prison uh, He was also a football hooligan So that should be interesting It'll be a live Q&A And if you're interested in the local gangland stuff There's an interesting programme on later on tonight At 9 o'clock About the feud between Conroy and Sayers And uh, that should be interesting Well worth a watch at 9 o'clock So that gets all the gangland stuff out of the way Back to the football and uh, questions coming in 
many, many questions. It's, it's trying to pick the ones out which um, you know we haven't already touched on. I've got to laugh at this. Alan says, uh, are you and Keith looking over your shoulder for a Jason Bourne when you're out for lunch? <laughs> I like that. I like it. I, I like it. Um, we keep coming back to disappointing results every four or five games. What consistency has Bruce and his backroom staff introduced in nearly two seasons? Shocking, says Anthony. He's right, isn't he? Yeah, there's been no consistency. I mean, if you were to say there has been some consistency, it's been Newcastle have been consistently rubbish and consistently um, less uh, positive in an attacking sense and consistently worse than they were under Rafa Benitez defensively. Um, it was to be expected. We expected it to be in this position. But I think given the, the money spent last summer, particularly on a goal scorer, I think Newcastle should have found themselves a little bit higher than what they do now. Um, look, they're going to need a good summer because... The way timeframes are working at the moment, we don't really know. But, but is there going to be a takeover before next season? It's looking, it's looking like it, it, at this point, it, it's going to be a, a tough ask, and we have to sort of plan ahead. And, and Bruce, Bruce will be going into final year his contract. Um, it, it looks pretty grim, but they're going to need to have a decent summer. They're, they're going to have to transform the midfield on a relatively small budget. I think the midfield is is a big problem because it's the link between attack and defence. It's the, it, it can be the the shield in front of the defence, if you so be it. It can be the, the link to get your attackers more goals, assists, creativity. It's got, to, it's got to have a little bit of everything in it in a midfield. Newcastle United has got a little bit of nothing, really. It's it's um, it's poor. It's not fit for, for purpose in the Premier League. And I go through them all in that sense. I like Isaac Hayden. I also like Sean Longstaff. But realistically, are this Premier League, absolute Premier League starters? Um, if you were to play a two or a three, I'm not 100% certain. Beyond that, you've got Matty Longstaff, who I think deserves more of an opportunity. But the ones who are absolutely not fit for purpose and will be straight out the door, if I'm put in Steve Bruce's position tomorrow, will be John Joe Shelby and Jeff Hendrick. Add absolutely nothing, bring nothing to the party. Uh, John Joe Shelby on Sunday, for a good passer of the ball, as everybody calls him, wow, what a passer of the ball when he wants it. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make decent passes very often. I was just constantly watching him thinking, he was passing balls behind players. He was passing them ahead of players. He was playing little five-yard ones. I mean, come on. Like, how long are we going to... I mean, he's been found out, more than found out in Newcastle United. Last season, I thought he actually progressed. Last season, he looked like he wanted it. He added goals to his game. He added influence. He got involved more in games. He's a passenger most of the time now. And that's because he wants to be and he's allowed to be a passenger. He wasn't allowed to be a passenger at times. Um Pre under the previous manager and was better for it. Last season, we've seen a, a progression. He was probably one of the only players you could argue that um, improved him and Javier Manquillo, I would probably think back, say, actually, they're probably two of the only players who've got better under Steve Bruce than they were under Rafa Benitez. But I would argue both of those players have accelerated uh, backwards very, very quickly um, this season. So, yeah, I think I think midfield, they've got to look to, to add players in that department. It's got to be a transformative summer. Even if they didn't do anything anywhere else on the park, which I think they're going to have to at centre-half, there's going to be changes there. Or you could argue, I think, three of the centre-halves that they've got in the current crop at the moment will probably leave, um, potentially leave anyway. Uh, one's not so sure. Um, Fede Fernandes, I'm not 100% certain. Lejeune will go, pretty sure. Fabian Shaw will likely go, even if he's not even if they don't extend, even if they do extend his contract, I think he's a player who could well go anyway. So it needs to be a transformative summer in those departments um, because you can't say it on fit for purpose in the Premier League, particularly not on just Bruce, to be honest. 
Bea Taylor says, what's your thoughts on the referee, Mike Dean? Blatant second yellow for uh, Zaka and not given uh, not yet a very poor red card for Shaw. Premier League influence to sink us. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I think the Shaw one was a poor red card. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's a yellow card. Um, I think he could have. I, I think Mike Dean, Mike Dean's Mike Dean. I think he can be very good at times. And also, as we all know, he wants to be centre of the party a lot of the time. And I think I think he allows he allows that to get away from him. Um, but he is a decent referee. Um, I don't think it's a Premier League conspiracy in terms of refereeing. I think I think the the red card ultimately had absolutely zero impact on the game of football itself. Yeah, and I think you should really be pointing the, the finger of blame at, at uh, Steve Bruce. Is is um, cabal of coaches? There's enough of them there. There's, a, there's about seven or eight of them standing on the touchline, um, who couldn't um, make changes in a game to turn things around. I was looking at half time, thinking you've got to make a change to the system. You've got to you've got to tweak a player here or there. You've got to bring something else out of the team because ultimately they were still in it. And you thought, you know, they've got a chance of getting a result out of this game. Looks like you did against Liverpool, but. He just made like for like changes. Um, I never heard him once screaming from the sidelines, trying to get players up for it, um, kicking them up the backside, which is what you need sometimes. And it doesn't seem to have that in his locker and his coaches don't either. They're very, very passive on the uh, on the touchline, and, and it's a concern moving forward. But it's not a new concern. We, we know these concerns. If Steve Bruce is here next season, it's going to be more of the same. It'll be Dyson with death. Um, but it might be what everyone has to accept because that's Mike Ashley's Newcastle United. Fingers crossed. We could change at the top, and, and ultimately, we don't know. That might come, it might not. Um, I hope it does because, for the sanity of everybody else out there, I think I don't know if anybody can take another season of this dross under Steve Bruce. Um, no one will be sitting there watching it. Well, you won't yeah. be because you won't be able to get in. I know I won't. I'll, you have to go buy your season ticket. I was going to say I might get my season ticket back and sit back in the Gallagher. I've got the only <laughs> chance I've got to get in next season. Tom Dixon and Ada both say congratulations to Heaven Town for winning the FA Vars. What a game that was. I mean, it was a great, great, great advert for the Northern League. I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, commiserations, of course, to concert. Uh, they played that part in a wonderful final. Um, but yeah, did you have time to watch that? And I'm sure you'd want to pass on your congratulations as well, covering that that platform. Yeah, yeah, we do. We, we had um, our reporter, Mark, Mark Carruthers, who does a lot of work, he's a freelancer, does a lot of work for us. Um, many people who follow the North East non-league scene will know his uh, his name. Um, he he did he covered it for us. I didn't watch it this weekend, but I'm led to believe it was absolutely unbelievable. I got so many texts um, from people saying, "Look, it was it was um, it put like the likes of the Premier League and what Newcastle United have been producing recently to shame." Um, but it was my wife's birthday this weekend, so I couldn't I couldn't spend the whole of it having taken a couple of days off. I couldn't spend the whole of it watching football, so I just I got away with the Newcastle Arsenal game, and I, I wouldn't have got away with that one. Uh, John Askew says the Premier League should surely exist to help member clubs. Why are they so determined to deny the takeover? That's not their role. Any ideas? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of ideas, and I think a lot of it, a lot of the ideas, John, are out there. Um, you only have to do a little bit of digging as to why. I don't believe that the clubs. There was heavy, heavy influence from sponsors, heavy, heavy influence from certain member clubs in the pro in the decision making process, and and that that caused the Premier League to come to the decision that they did. And I think that's something that's been documented by Amanda Staveley. It's been documented by others as well, other publications. But that to me is absolute fact. That, that people meddled in a process they had absolutely no um, place in sticking their nose in. 
And I think that changed things and moved the, moved the goalposts on what should have been a relatively straightforward tick box exercise, which turned into one that became longer and longer, delay, delay, delay. Premier League made that, made that um, position very, very clear as the process went on, that they would constantly delay. And they did not work in favour of one of their member clubs by taking influence from others and outside influences in the likes of BN Sports. Yeah, BT is also asking about the fans getting back in. He says he contacted the club last week and he was told they hadn't even thought about it. Well, that doesn't look, that doesn't surprise us because the conversations, as I was, I said that I was having um, the back end last week, also concerned me that there hasn't even been these conversations. There was conversations last year. Was it maybe October? I think it might have been where where fan groups were involved and conversations were had about who would be in and and processes as to what you could and couldn't do and all these conversations took place. Has there been any of that this time? Nope, not a thing. So it looks again that the football club is doing the absolute bare minimum, um, even when this is staring them in the face. We're talking about potentially something that's only two weeks away. Do you really think Newcastle United are going to want all those fans in? I don't. I don't think they want them in. I don't think they're making any particular preparations for those fans to come in either. Um, I think it will be limited. Um, as I've said, that they're not going to get, they're not going to bring press back. I, I think, I think if this is something that some Premier League clubs could avoid for this season and kick it into the long grass until August, I think a lot of them would. I think it's it's a, it's a little bit of a headache that they don't really need so late in the game. Alan Thompson's talking about the Entertainers uh, programme, which of course was on Sky. Far too short, half an hour. How on earth are you supposed to cram in the Entertainers into half an hour? Uh, did you and your last settle down for a birthday treat and watch that for half an hour or not? <laughs> they didn't. A lot of me, a lot of my mates at work and things like that um, got in touch saying how fantastic it was. I didn't watch it myself. You know what? I struggle. I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. I struggle looking back on that time and not still hurting it does hurt like I was only really young at the time but I remember it all I remember being in tears with the Fenton goals I remember the Liverpool I remember the, the heartache and I remember I don't know I think we've spoke about this uh, before with the first ever interview I think we did Steve but people who remember um, from that time we used to get the, the, the pull outs from the paper where you used to sort of move your, move people up and down the tables it would have all of the tables in the division and I can remember as a how old would I have been? Eight. I can remember being that old and, and moving Newcastle United off that top spot and swapping it round with Manchester United. And I remember the absolute pain of that season. And I've got to be honest, even though a lot of people look back on it now and say, wow, wonderful, I still look back on it with a little bit of, God, how, like, we should have done it. We should have done it. It still hurts to think that we didn't. Um, so I, I always have mixed emotions when thinking back on those times. And, and celebrating those times, and it should be celebrated. I get it, but maybe I'm just a bit too bitter and twisted. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those situations where you either like it or you you, you hate it. You, you start switching off once you see Newcastle play Liverpool and they get beat four three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting. This is an interesting one from John. He says, as a former qualified referee, I've been appalled at the standard of refereeing in the EPL. The mistakes are really basic, and it seems they're hiding behind VAR. Mike Dean was dreadful. He's got a point. Well, that's the type. Of, that's the type of knowledge and punditry that we want to see. Somebody who's done it and somebody who can offer insight into it. Quality stuff, John. I mean, I've been really, really um, unimpressed by the referee in this season. 
I think common sense has gone out the window. And I think I think there is when a decision is tough to make, even if they know they've got it wrong, sometimes they won't overturn it. Sometimes they will overturn it if they think it's going to be pulled up again in the future. I think VAR has become um, the safest option and they will just use it and, and hide behind it and say, look, well, that was the interpretation of the rules and VAR should have changed it if they thought, if they thought otherwise. I think it's just another, it's another layer of keeping things safe for themselves. It's not, it's not the, um, the instrument, it's not the technology itself, as I've said on here before, that's the problem. It's the, the people using it that are the problem. We shouldn't be getting so many contentious decisions as what we are. But I think some of the rules are wrong as well. Some of the rules are dreadful. The Callum Wilson goal rule, the one where it hits your arm, it doesn't matter how. Um, that, that, to me, is, is a really bad rule. The offside rules are really, really wrong. Um, there's so many offside goals given now that aren't really offside. It's so marginal. There's lots of the rules that are wrong as well, but... I mean, is that the problem? Is there too many, too many idiots running the game? Too many idiots making these rules? I mean, where do they come up with them? I struggle sometimes to follow the rules because from one season to the next, even mid-season, things can be switched and turned and changed. And without a full handbook in front of you with all the all the million and one points that they do change throughout a season, how are you supposed to know exactly what happens? I mean, I mean... A lot of people wouldn't have known the Callum Wilson rule when it happened, when it came off his arm and went through. Not many people would have known that, but it's ultimately something that bites in the backside in the game. And, and it has taken that little bit out of it, I think. But I, I am in favour of VAR. But I just think the I think there needs to be more of a common sense approach. There needs to be less egos among referees. There needs to be more accountability from referees. Um, be stronger with your decision-making. There needs to be better, better using of the of the technology. But yeah, I think I'm all for VAR, but I, I do agree that the referee in the season has been very poor. Uh, David Little says, if Man United aren't punished, obviously, for what happened at the weekend, do you think it uh, sets a precedent? And do you think Sky would show our fans waving corrupt Premier League banners? Doubtful. Yeah, a lot of people were upset, I suppose, with what was going on at the weekend. And a lot of people were saying that if it had been Newcastle, Newcastle fans would have been condemned for that kind of behaviour. I think Manchester United need to be punished um, because ultimately it's their fans that caused the, the calling off of the game, made it an unsafe environment for, for, other, for, for the players to, to play. Um, I think it's important that they are punished and that's only the first one. Um, they, should, they should also be punished for the ESL debacle. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of legal challenges in that sense. But realistically, Manchester United could not fulfil their fixture it was their home fixture and they could not ensure the safety of uh, both uh, sets of players. So they should be dock points for that, in my opinion. Um, if they could not, I mean, if you couldn't present a team, for example, um, you would be dock points. It's only happened very rarely in, in top flight football in recent years. But if you couldn't do that, then then you'll be dock points. And I think not being able to secure or, or ensure the safety of football players is one of the most basic, bare minimum things that sh you should be able to do at a football ground, and Manchester United were unable to do so. So I think there should be dock points. Okay, yeah, I would agree 100%. Uh, we'll watch that with interest. Do you think that uh, Bruce is good enough to manage in the Premier League? No, Chrissy, absolutely no chance. He's nowhere near good enough. And, and I think if he gets sacked in Newcastle tomorrow, which is as far away from reality as possible, do you really think any other club in the top flight would even take a second look at him? 
Do you think any club um, wanting to get promoted out of the championship would take a second look at him? He wouldn't. He'd end up at the bottom end of the championship. He'd end up. He'd end up back at like a Sheffield Wednesday type. That's where he would end up. He wouldn't be. He's not. He's. He's never ever in his whole career been fit for purpose for the Premier League consistently. Not even close. I mean, you go back ten years. He finished reasonably high with Sunderland, etc. Um, did a reasonable job else. A couple of other little jobs, but never ever been fit for purpose. Never even close fit for purpose for a, for a club the size of Newcastle United. It's an embarrassment, really, that he is Newcastle United manager. And look, that's not a personal thing. Um, it's it's purely looking back on the results, on the performances, on the progression of players, the uh, scattergun approach to systems, selections, the arguments, the, the fires that he's started, the problems that he's caused. Just not nowhere near good enough. We've had two years of it now, and, and he's done nothing to disprove a lot of the people who stood up that summer when Newcastle were in China and were absolutely aghast that that a man of that calibre was given the Newcastle United job. He's done nothing, not one ounce of, of effort to prove that wrong. I say effort, probably hasn't got the ability to prove those people wrong because Newcastle United fans aren't daft. They've seen this coming. They, they, they know they, they know football. If there's a fan base out there that knows football uh, as well as anybody, it's Newcastle United fans, in my opinion. And they're not daft. They know exactly what they are and they know what Steve Bruce is and he's not good enough. Yeah, uh, Sean Parker makes a good point. Borough were deducted, uh, deducted uh, points for unfulfilling a fixture previously. Yeah. It's what Man United did with Liverpool. They did. Um, through no fault of Liverpool's. Um, so, yeah, the Premier League are looking at that along with, uh, you know, the police um, to see what action should be taken. And I don't think a financial uh, punishment is enough. I think, you know, if points deduction has happened in the past, then it should be looked at again. We'll wait and see what happens yeah. with that. Here's a question to add to your long list for the club, uh, Liam. Um, uh, you know, if you were somebody at the Shields Gazette can ask on behalf of the, the fans. The 10,000 tickets that were offered for free, obviously when we got locked down for COVID, I was, you know, I told you my my seat where we had to move to the Platinum Club because my dad was struggling with the stairs. We moved to the Platinum Club and we were basically sitting in there on our own at the top part of it for the start of that season. But, when we got to the Christmas period, when the 10,000 tickets were given away, we were suddenly surrounded. It was chocker. So a lot of them got put in there. Now, obviously, Mark's just wanting to know, does that extend into the new season? You know, there's 10,000 tickets. It's another question to ask, you know, for, I suppose, for, for supporters. So stick that down on your, stick that just, down on your list. Yeah, I'm just, I am just, uh, just putting that down. Just to say, I will ask the question and see as to where people stand on it. It's a really good question. I'll see if I can get you an answer for next week. Yep, Kevin McDougall, uh, he's asking me uh, if the takeover goes through and I was offered a job at the club, would I give everything else up to take a full-time role for Newcastle? Well, I did take a job at the club in the past, Kevin. Um, I guess the question is, what job um, would they offer us? Um, if it was fan-related, um, I would probably have to say no because I've been down that road before. Um, it's a difficult job to do and it's not one you get much support from from other people within the fan base who've got agendas. So if it was fan-related, I'd say I would probably say no, mate. Um, but never say never. Um, would the new owners even want to offer me a job? 
who knows but let's see what happens um let's hope we'll get new owners that's all i'm really bothered about and that's why i'll continue to champion the saudi takeover the saudi-led takeover by amanda stavely and the rubens because i believe it's the best thing that could happen to our football club financially and it's something which will help the region massively so hopefully that will work out but thanks for your question tom says kevin, kevin where, where's where's it where's the offer my job like oh kevin what, didn't my, ask me when i take a job I, well if i got a job i'd just get you in <laughs> right, we're in. I'll give you a, I'll give you a seat for life. <laughs> Tom Lynn says, Doc Man United, 40 points. That would sort the relegation issue out. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> James says he found it difficult to un uh, listen to Jamie Carragher. I think most people have a difficulty understanding him. Uh, last night in him saying, lazy punditry, not knowing the facts, when just about all pundits bar Jake Humphrey don't know the facts. Pundry. It's a good point. We've, we'll labour on this quite a bit on this show about pundits. But yeah, I just thought if you get a chance, I don't know about anybody, if you watch Match of the Day with um, Jermaine Janice, he's gradually becoming my pet hate on, on there at the minute. He's so bad. He just doesn't do his research and he witnesses on and doesn't really know what he's talking about. And he tries to hold like this persona. He's just, he gets on me wick. He really does. I never thought I would say I would like Roy Keane. But I, I just love Roy Keane's honesty. Are you a Roy? Are you a Roy Keane fan? Love what Keane, about Jamie Carragher? I love I love Carragher. I love Neville. I love Keane. Um, God, even Sunes at times, even though he's well past it. Um, so yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think there are some really bad ones. Somebody mentioned Jake Jake Humphreys, and I think I think he's a really good one. There are some other decent ones out there. It's just a shame they, they roll out the same rubbish a lot of the time. I think largely, I think Sky are pretty good. There's a lot of decent ones on Sky, BBC and BT less so. Yeah, uh, Keith Patterson says, they use vacuums now, Liam, so you'll be redundant with your sweeping brush. <laughs> Jeff Carter says, uh, Steve, ideal, do security at the bar. Thanks, Jeff. I, I retired from that in 2010. Uh, Julie says, it would be good to see you and Rafa back together. Thank you very much. Uh, and Jason Carter says, keep the wraith. Uh, question for Liam from Toby. Uh, must be bored of the same questions, but how confident do you now feel about the takeover? Do you still believe we will be taking over? Good question, Toby. And what I'll do is I'll stay absolutely consistent in what I've said all the way through. I've never talked about confidence, so I'm not going to start now um, because I think something that's totally out of your control, it's really difficult to be confident about. But what I would say is that I'm hopeful and I remain hopeful. And, and there are a lot of people who, who are involved in the process who, who are still confident. And they've got reasons for that confidence, some of which I know, some of which I don't. I'm not going to say that I'm confident because I think I think waiting this long for a deal makes you lose any kind of confidence. If you'd asked us this 12 months ago, I would have said I was confident. Not at all now. Um, I don't want to go into the confidence thing. But what I will say is that I am hopeful, definitely hopeful. And I think that I think that you can't if you want to take confidence, you can take some confidence from the fact that that buyer, buyer and seller, in particular buyer. Are confident that they'll get this deal done. Kevin McGarry says, Bruce out, Wraith in, uh, and can I be the assistant? Yes, Kevin. No problem, mate. Um, see you down the uh, bankies in Felon. Uh, we'll do. A, we'll get the cones out. Uh, Tom Dixon says, uh, Liam, would you start Willock on Friday night? Yes, I would. I think you've got to find a way to get a lot of his talent in there. And I think they, they need a freshening up of that midfield. I think he's the, it's the ideal way to do it is to bring him in. Who he comes in for, I'm not so sure. So, so maybe if you stick with this system, he's not going to drop Shelby, so I'm not even going to walk down that road because he would be the one that I would change. 
But you'd have to argue, I want to see him get more out of Miguel Almiron, but Almiron's probably the one who's most at risk because of his performances. He's really dropped off a cliff um, since coming back, apart from that Spurs game, I would argue. Um, apart from that, he's been pretty dreadful. And I don't think that's any slight on him because I do rate him as a player. Um, but I, I think it's because of the, the, the positions that he's played in. He's played in this position before, earlier in the season. and, he, and he was, I think it was the first time that his agent spouted up when Newcastle was struggling, when he was talking about playing really deep having to pick the ball up really deep and it doesn't suit his game and I think he's doing exactly the same thing again. So, yeah, I, I would love to see Willock in but I would suspect it'll be a Sean Longstaff or a Miguel Almiron that he comes in for if he keeps the system the same and for me, there's only one player who doesn't deserve to be wearing the shirt and unfortunately he's the man with the armband. Good to see Richard Vastas is on there tonight. He says, I think VAR lads are doing a great job. It's just coincidence that the decisions usually benefit the sexy six. Yeah, always speaks from the heart as Richard Vars does. He does. He says uh, he's, he's also said, um, I wonder if the club will give me a job if the takeover goes through. Maybe they could use me tears to walk to the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas says, John Joe's a right chancer. Two pinpoint 40 yard passes per game. Bruce is thick and love it. I mean, you know, with, he doesn't uh, even do that anymore. He doesn't well, I mean, even do that anymore. Shearer nailed him, didn't he, on match of the day? Um, absolutely hammered him. He didn't, he, he, you know, he wasn't very complimentary towards Sean Longstaff, but I think half, half the problem Sean Longstaff has is playing alongside Shelby. Yeah, and I, I do agree with that. Look, I think I don't think Sean Longstaff's all that good a player, but I've always gone through it on here and saying that I think he's a Premier League player. And I think in a different system, under a different coach, Sean Longstaff's a player who can add a lot of value to this team. John Joe Shelby, under any coach, doesn't add any value to this team. Even with a world-class coach, he was still a negative influence at times and was dropped most of the time by Rafa Benitez and would have been sold in a heartbeat had Rafa Benitez had the assurances he could be replaced. Yeah, uh, Chrissy just says, Maxi's an impact player. He isn't good enough to start. Uh, Paul, oh. yeah, yeah, I, I know I know what, what he's saying. Like he's, I just think this point that Paul Kinson makes probably is the reason that Maximin didn't look as effective at the weekend. And that, believe it or not, is because we dropped Joe. We dropped big Joe. And you never thought you'd hear me say that. But no. I think it affected, it, imba it imbalanced the team. We knew we were going to be missing Willock as an impact player coming on. I just didn't see the logic in dropping Joe Linton and leaving Andy Carroll out altogether. And I just thought phys physically against Arsenal, roughing them up a little bit and having somebody ho holding the ball up and letting people run off. I just thought... It just didn't work playing Wilson up front with, with you know, with St. Maximin. It just does. It it didn't. It wasn't effective. I think if you'd had Big what? Joe there, Big Joe there yeah. holding the ball up and then having them running off, I think, and and that's what we've played with, and that's what we've been effective with. So why suddenly change it and bring Wilson in? I, I don't think it, I don't think it worked, and we didn't. Then we didn't have the impact player to bring on in in Willock because he was tied, you know, to his parent club. I just I don't know. It imbalanced it for me. That was my opinion anyway. It does, and I think the only way that you get that balance back without bringing Joe Linton back in is by splitting the strikers again and going for the false nine thing. But like I said, the, the big trade-off for that is that you lose the effectiveness of the of the wing-backs um, and, and you become a very narrow side again, which has got its limitations. But, but it really suited Wilson to play out wide from the right. It really suited Almiron in the middle. And St Maximum was St Maximum, a constant threat, even in that formation. And you brought Willock in to play as one of those sort of bursting midfielders from deep. Sean Longstaff could play the other one and, and stick his mate in as the sort of whole midfielder pivot. He can just stay in there. I think mm -hmm. it probably is. I think it probably does call for a move back. 
And does that come at the detriment of, of a Jacob Murphy or a or a Matt Ritchie? Yeah, I think it probably does. Uh, Matt Ritchie's not good enough defensively to play in a well, you take You take Shelby out of midfield, you put Ritchie in the centre midfield and you drop Shelby. That's what you do. And give Ritchie the captaincy. It's as easy as that, man. Yes, I agree. I, I, I do agree. But the thing is, you'll never do that. And and that's yeah, why I'm always... It'll always be Shelby. Look, yeah. I, look, I, I wouldn't be against him bringing Mankio in and, and dropping Jacob Murphy and have Murphy's impact so potentially because he's pretty good at that as well. Um. Matt Ritchie's such a hard one because of the influence that he has. Such a good attitude, really good attitude, really good commitment, and brings a certain committed energy to the side. And taking him out of that's probably the last thing you'd want to do. But but I think if Newcastle need to get the best out of the three front players who are arguably their best players, then I think you have to change the system. Yeah, Richard Vosters will leave him with a final uh, message. He says, great show, lads. Now back to filling my time, doing everything except approving the takeover. Cheers, Richard. <laughs> Down your hands now, Richard. Remember that. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Give a quick plug to where people can find you, Liam. Yeah, if, if you don't know by now already, I, I work for a company called The Shields Gazette. Um, that's my little Twitter handle down there, at Liam J. Kennedy 23. So if you like what I do on here, just give us a follow. You'll soon see that you can probably get four or five stories a, a week or a month um, free from The Shields Gazette, but we work on a subscription system as well. It's 35 quid to get a full 12 months of uh, sports coverage of the action analysis, when you castinated coverage, whether I'm in the ground or not. Um you get you get everything there. You get all the sports. You get Sunland. You get Hartlepool. You get others. So so yeah, it's it's a bargain if you ask me. But I would say that. But it just keeps things ticking over at the Shields Gazette. It keeps me in a job. I can just see like Eric Morgan at the end of Morgan and Wise. You know, with your muffler on and your your your, your overcoat and your carrier bag walking past the ground as you hear a cheer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff, mate. Uh, don't forget, guys, I'm back tomorrow night with a retro team. Uh, Stu Penman, Neil Mitchell, George Mitchell, Steve Wilkinson and Steve Hasty join me for some banter about Newcastle versus Southampton over the years. Should be a good laugh. We'll unveil our new sponsor tomorrow night as well. Um, I'm also back in about uh, 10 minutes uh, with this fella, uh, Frank Portinari, uh, to talk about his uh, wonderful book. Uh, he's an author, he's a motivator, he's a consultant, and he's a podcaster now. And uh, we will be uh, joined by him in about uh, 7.15. That's a live chat, so come and join us if you want an hour of something a bit different. And uh, rest in peace, Alan McLaughlin. Sad, sad news today about him. Far too young, passed away, um, obviously renowned at various clubs up and down the country. Uh, there he is with uh, our former manager, Ozzy Ardila. So our thoughts with his uh, close family and friends. Uh, great to see you, Liam, mate. Look forward to seeing you next uh, week. Um, and take care, mate. And uh, keep knocking on St. James's Park. You'll get in eventually, son. See you later. <laughs> take care, mate. Bye-bye. Only way you're ever gonna learn your life